are so glad to be with you. I'm Tina. And I'm Wendy. And boy, do we love truth. Even when it hurts. Yikes. Ouch. Hey, Wendy, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. So I haven't seen you in a minute. I know. Been been, all right? Been a few days. Been a few days. Been a crazy day. For lunch today, I found a protein bar that was in the backseat of my car that I don't know long, how long it had been there, and so I ate that for lunch on my way here. So that's the kind of day it's been. Anybody well, have those days? If it was wrapped, that's good. Usually was, when I find them, they're like half wrapped and yeah, I eat it anyway. Yeah. No, this was wrapped. That's so good. It was, it was safer, but but yeah. You Do you remember what it was? Uh, I don't remember what it was. It was like protein, chocolate, peanut butter. Sometimes we're just that desperate. Yeah, I was desperate. So. In kids' ministry, a lot of my meals were juice boxes and goldfish. Exactly. That's how we roll. And I get hangry. So if anybody <laughs> out there understands when blood sugar goes low, I get angry. Well, being in the room with you, I'd like to personally thank you for taking yes, care of every, that and every, not bringing that to us today. Everybody's happy that I had my protein bar on the way here. So, yes. <laughs> Sweet. Yep. Well, I'm always happy to see you, my friend. And you brought a friend of yours. I Why did. don't you tell us a little bit about our guest? I did. So today joining us in the studio is Lori Burns. Hey, Lori. She, hey. Yeah. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. So Lori and I have been friends for over 25 years. So that makes us really old at this point. We were just talking about that. And we met at Cincinnati Bible Seminary, um, which actually doesn't exist anymore. Correct. (laughs) Yep. Um, But yeah, that's where we met. Um, We got our counseling degrees together and we have been friends ever since. And so we invited her here to talk with us about addiction and how to help walk alongside people and families. So yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Glory, thank you for being with us. Yeah. I'm super excited to meet you. You guys have been friends a really long time. We have. We've been through a lot together. Yeah. So that's awesome. Surviving grad school was the first thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you want to tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to doing what you do? Sure. Um, well, I'm a licensed mental health counselor and an addictions counselor and also an ordained pastor. Uh, I actually have been in church ministry uh, for. So adding this up, 17 years, and left church ministry about a year and a half ago and joined um, a ministry slash business that works in addiction and recovery. So um, addiction and recovery, I always say, is something I used to run from. I didn't want to have anything to do with addiction and recovery. I actually grew up in a home where my father was an alcoholic, um, also had a sex addiction and a really good workaholic. And uh, I always say I kind of did my time mm. dealing with addiction and recovery. Uh, and I had several other family members who were involved in addiction and recovery. And I kept telling, when I went to grad school, I actually said, I'm not working with addiction and recovery. I have done my time personally and I survived it. I'm not doing it. So funny thing how God works. Even in my 17 years in church ministry and being a pastor, those people just found me. They just kind (laughs) of, they would just show up. And so, uh, you know, eventually I stopped running and actually just started working with people uh, struggling with kind of any hangup or habit, because I think we're all really one poor decision away from struggling with some type of addiction, whether that's shopping, gambling, sex addiction, you know, whatever that is, we're all just one step away from it. So um, I've kind of, that's kind of been my journey um, in a really short moment. Um, You know, I tell people all the time when you, when I share my story, you wouldn't have thought, I think in the church, we sometimes don't realize families just look like your everyday family. No one would have ever guessed I was growing up in a home of addiction. My father was, uh, Uh, actually worked two jobs. He was um, working 14 hours a week. He was a respectable person in the, in the um, community. 
He was, you know, always paid his bills. He was, I mean, he was just a really good person. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people think, oh, when they think addiction or recovery, I think they think, oh, you lived this, you had this horrible childhood or, you know, these things happened. Yeah, there were things that weren't healthy in my home, but a lot of times people don't recognize you're friends with someone who is struggling with an addiction because uh, they just look like everyday person just doing their life. So that's one of the things I share. That's a great insight because you're right. I think mm-hmm. sometimes there's an assumption of, wow, what did they have to go through to get to where they are mm-hmm. and, and assumption that it's been traumatic. And right. and I, I mean, we all go through our share of trauma and hard things. But Absolutely. Yeah. Um, personally, you know, my dad was a Vietnam vet mm. and, um, you know, I don't know, I don't know the line between... <clears throat> just, you know, drinking a lot versus, you know, and he's been gone with the Lord for about over 10 years now. Um, But, you know, looking back, knowing what I know about PTSD and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, you can see just certain times he, you know, was a happier person. Right, right, right. (laughs) We'd have family parties like, oh, dad's in a good mood now. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so I love that you're bringing that perspective. Right, yeah. And I always say too, it's, it's, you don't realize, um, you know, when I said it's one simple decision, you don't realize if that's, you realize you're drinking a glass of wine every night that becomes two glasses of wine because you're dealing with kids and you're struggling. Or, um, you know, I worked with a lot of couples where husbands struggled with pornography and you, you know, what starts off as I took one look or I, you know, someone sent me something and then that turns into an every night thing. Um, we don't realize how much addiction really does affect us as a family. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of times I, I don't know that the line matters so much as, is it hurting you as a person and is it affecting your family? That, I think that's, I remember, kind of and it. yeah, sorry. So f- forgive me for, I'll, I'll quit chiming in here and get to the questions. I know Wendy has things oh. to ask you. <laughs> you go girl. But, um, I remember reading an article. I remember putting it on Facebook because there's almost, there was like this, I think it's still a thing, but kind of a fad about moms and wine Mm -hmm. and ending their day. And I read an article and it was talking about every day that you're you're parenting under the Mm -hmm. influence of alcohol, Mm -hmm. even if you're not inebriated or, you know, whatever. So um, at that, for me, that was like an eye opener. Like, oh my goodness, I never looked at it that way. Just being under the influence of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think the wine mom culture is sort of a... Kind of a thing. thing. Yep, it's a thing. Yeah. Well, and I always say, it, my father just was incapable of being the, emo- he wasn't emotionally present for me. Mm-hmm. He just was incapable of having the relationship that I desired and I needed as a little girl. Mm-hmm. And so it was a lot of things like, you know, if, if you're drunk all the time, or you, you have a certain level of, of, I wouldn't say he was drunk, but he had a certain level of alcohol in his system all the time. You know, I always say my father never told me, he. I, I didn't realize this till later. He never told me he loved me. He never, um, he just didn't sit down and ask how my day was going. He wasn't, he was there, but he emotionally wasn't present. And so you don't realize how, um, you know, that's a loss. And so I didn't really understand or know like what a father was supposed to look like or be like. And it wasn't again, cause he was a bad guy. It was yeah. just that because he was, he had enough alcohol in his system. He just, he checked out because he was just trying to numb himself, which is what most of us are trying to do because of the sin of the world. I mean, we're all broken trying to fill a void. And if we think about it, we all do something at some point other than go to Jesus to try to fill that void. Mm -hmm. And so whether that's shopping, like, you know, or whether that's drinking wine every night or whether that's, you know, looking at pornography or that's gambling. I mean, we all do something 
to kind of escape. When I was in college, I don't know if Wendy remembers this, um, but if I was really trying to fill that void, I'd go like to the movie theater and watch like two movies, yeah. three movies in a row because I could escape life. Yeah. And that's okay for a short period of time. But if you're doing that all the time, that's when it becomes a problem. I might need to know that line. I'm kind of a Marvel fan. And so <laughs> I disappear in the world of Thanos. And yeah, it's a thing. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. kids do too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I, we're all, I'm already like, we're going to have to have her back because yeah. I've got I more know. questions than we're going to have time for, because I would okay. love to talk about just kind of, um, how that does affect parent, just parenting mm-hmm. and alcohol. I mean, I grew up, it was a part of our life. My husband and I chose not to, mm-hmm. we didn't drink. Um, we still don't. Um, and just the impact of that on kids, mm-hmm. but that's a whole nother podcast. So we <laughs> right. definitely have to get you on the calendar oh, yeah, again. Yes. But I know Wendy, you had some specific things you wanted to talk about. Yeah. Well, we were going to start out again with Lori, your personal story, um, because again, I journeyed with you um, <laughs> when we were in college, you know, in, in seminary together in our 20s. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I recall it's like you'd have these aha moments even mm-hmm. throughout our counseling program that she would realize how coming from an addicting home affected you. It yeah. was like how it played out in relationships, mm-hmm. how it meant to attach to people or not, or all these different things that you were recognizing through the counseling training that we were getting. Um, but one thing I don't want to overlook, um, just in talking about family is just the journey that you've been on with your dad as far as where it's at now, because that's such a powerful story of transformation. And so I want to make sure that you have a minute to talk about that. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, cause there's so much in that story, right? Um, a quick side note, I remember with Wendy one time in grad school and I was doing counseling cause I was really having to work on these things that okay, right, we don't get out of childhood unscathed or right. whatever, whatever, even as a parent trying to change that legacy for my own kids, I'm, you still kind of gracefully mess them up. I know, you I, know? Tell my husband, I tell my husband all the time, I'm like, you realize one day our kids are going to sit in a circle at a Bible study oh, and they're going to talk oh. about us. Like, Well, Lori and I said we were going to get a group rate for our kids. <laughs> we were going to do just, group therapy. Can group I book therapy. my kids now? Exactly. Can we I? can just go ahead and make a group. Absolutely. So saying that, I remember thinking with my counselor, I used to say, why is it I always date all these losers? Like, do I just have a big L on my forehead that says, like, date me? And my counselor, I remember her very directly looking at me and saying, she was a Christian therapist. She was amazing. She said, well, at some point, maybe it's not the guy. Maybe it's something in you. And I was like, oh, ouch. ouch. Okay. That's when the truth hurts. Yeah. Um, but thankful for that because that's how I started moving forward and really understanding my identity and who Christ created me to be. And he didn't, you know, he doesn't create junk. So saying that, my um, father and I had a very long journey in college. It kind of ended in college because of all the work I had done where I went to my father and basically said, hey, I forgive you. I forgive you for everything that's happened um, because there had been a lot of hurt. My dad didn't show up for my volleyball games. He didn't show up for graduation. He actually didn't think I should go to Bible college. That was a waste of time because there was a whole thing there. Um, And so I went to him and was able to say, hey, I, I have to forgive you for my own because God calls me to that, but I'm also, I need to be set free. And so I went and basically, you know, get, said, I'm going to forgive you. You will always know where I live. You will always know where I'm at. Um, But until you're ready to have a relationship with me, um, I have to end this. I have to put a boundary here because I was constantly struggling with how do I get my dad's approval? That's all I wanted. That's all a little girl wanted. That's, that's, and I realized from doing all this work, I wasn't going to get that. He was incapable of giving that to me because of his addiction. And so um, my dad kind of just looked at me, didn't end well, meaning 
he didn't say anything. So I walked out. And then throughout the years, I kind of was in touch with my dad. Um, I later was getting married. Uh, I let him know I was getting married. Um, he wasn't, we didn't even know if he was showing up for the wedding, showed up at the last minute. Um, so there was a lot of rockiness um, saying that. My kids didn't really know uh, who my father was. I told him as I had children, you know, what that looked like. So long story short, 11 years ago, we were adopting our youngest son from Ethiopia. And my father basically reached out to me out of the blue and said, hey, would you be willing to come visit me? Which he lives an hour and a half. I grew up on a farm in southern Indiana. And so I said, sure. And I was like, I have no idea why he would want to talk to me. Like, I was kind of nervous about it. So my husband and I drove there. He met his grandkids. I know that sounds crazy, but he met his two daughter, his two granddaughters for the first time. And I was even leery of doing that because I was very protective. We, my husband and I were really trying to change a legacy. And my husband's actually a recovering addict. So we were really trying to change a legacy. And my father basically had, in the last year, had this journey where he'd come to Christ. And he, so he basically in tears was like, I just want you to know, like, I get it. I get it. I understand. I'm here to ask you for your forgiveness. I am sorry I wasn't the dad you need me to be. I want to know my grandchildren. I want to know, you know, all those things. And um, the crazy thing was my father, um, I wouldn't say he was racist, but he wasn't necessarily a fan of, um, he just didn't understand mixed families. I don't think it was really racism. I think he just struggled with that. So we're literally in the middle of adopting someone from Ethiopia. And I was like, oh, wow, because we had made a decision if you didn't accept our son as our son, then you weren't welcome to be part of our family because that was just a strong boundary. And my dad was like, so why are you adopting? I just don't understand that. And he actually went and read scriptures and talked to his pastor. And he'd been a Christian all of like three weeks, literally. And he called me and he said, I just want you to know, because I, I was literally questioning, why would you do this now, God? Why would you do this when he's unsure if he's going to accept him as his grandson? Because if he's not, we're not going to be around him. But why would you bring him to Christ and do this. And he called us and he said, I just want you to know, I've been praying about this and I've been reading the scriptures and I, I get it. I get why you're adopting and I just cannot wait to meet my grandson. Praise and the Lord. oh, it was just, I mean, uh, my husband literally got in the car after we met with him the first time and said, and he'd only met him a couple of times, but said, that is not the same man I've ever met. And that is a true factor. Like if you see a, tr and he currently doesn't, um, he stopped smoking, stopped drinking, um, you know, he's not a workaholic anymore. And really, we've spent the last 11 years kind of building a relationship. And, and we've had, um, you know, talking straight, being truthful. We've had some really hard conversations where my kids would say, hey, Grandpa, Tom, tell us about when Mommy was little. You know, you know, you know they want to hear stories. And he'd be like, I can't tell you any because I wasn't around. Wow. And we've been able to talk through that, though, instead of just letting that sit there. Yeah. And so that's been a very healing thing uh, for him, for me, for our family, uh, so yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up because that's been kind of the journey for the last 11 years. But if you would have asked me in college, if that would have ever happened, I was like, no, I don't think he'll ever change oh. from this lifestyle. Oh, believe it. When I first met Lori, it was like, I mean, I think you were respectful of your dad, but she yeah. was very straightforward about the role that he played in her life, which was very little at very that little. time. Yeah. And so I didn't think I'd ever meet him. And so the fact that I got to go meet him, I've been to his house. I mean, this is, I mean, it's amazing. It's total life transformation because everything she described, I wouldn't have wanted to be around him either. Yeah. And now that I meet him, he physically looks different. Like yeah. than even pictures you would show me. I mean, mm -hmm. he physically looks like a different man. So amazing. Wow. Which is the cool story about addiction and recovery when people really understand who they are in Christ. And, and that's why I think Christ has to be part of that recovery story. Um, and they 
they embrace that, it there can be healing. I think that's the hope you have to hold on to if you're a family member struggling with someone with addiction. Um, and the crazy thing is my mom, who he had divorced when I was 10, uh, she always believed in that. And I would get so mad at her. I'd be like, mom, whatever, leave me alone. I'm not gonna, you know, but she yeah, always wanted, prayed for that. I wanted to ask you that if it's okay. Yeah. Ask um, me. I'm a book. I'm an open book. <laughs> I know. I, we've, I know Wendy's brought some things to ask you, but just kind of because you're there, mm-hmm. what was that relationship with God like during that time, you know, in your childhood? Like, did you, like, at what point did you come to realize he's there for you and mm-hmm. he's alive? And I believe that only happened because of my mother. Um, my mom was a very faithful Christian. Um, she, she had us at the church every time the doors were open, but in hindsight, I always say that wasn't what, why I became a Christian. I would wake up in the middle of the night and literally see my mom on her knees praying. I would, my mom wouldn't know how she was going to pay rent because she was a single mom and my dad wasn't paying his part. And, you know, I would see her praying and having faith and, and just trusting that he was going to provide for that. And then I would see money show up or I would see whatever she needed show up. And my mom never said a single horrible word about, word about my dad. Um, she would always just say, you need to pray for him. And, and almost to the point where I'd be like, I would get irritated with my mom. Cause I'm like, she's mom. Why? I mean, even God has, I mean, he's going to do judgment, right? Like I just, I'm just saying I was a teenager. So I had a mouth on me. Um, but through that, I think it's the journey I watched her live out and her surrendering to Christ. And I saw God show up in her life. And so that's where I made a hands-down decision. I don't want to have this life. When I would look at my dad and the life he was living where he had like a new woman at the house every week and he was just miserable because he was really probably depressed and just dealing with life where I saw my mom living in a very hard circumstance, uh, but never, she was full of joy. She was full of hope. She, and like I said, there were things you can't explain that God just showed up and provided for her. And so that's where I say I, without a doubt, when I, I think I was age 11, 12, when I really recognized that and just said, I believe in God. What what a gift God gave you to to watch both happen real time. Yes. Like this is life in Christ. This is life apart from Christ and be able to put that together. That's incredible. Absolutely. So, um, we, yeah, we're going to, we're have to come, have you come back because we've got all sorts of other family stuff. Okay. We're We're time. We're good. Um, so one thing I wanted to talk, ask you about next was, um, just obviously we want to walk alongside people and families that are struggling with addiction and um, care for them, again, equip them, not enable them, um, Mm -hmm. help them through this journey. That's very, very difficult. That's often two steps forward, one step back, right? Mm -hmm. That's the nature of addiction. And so can you just speak to your experience with how the church handles that often when people are coming out of recovery or recovery ministries or um, just what your experience has been with that? Because we, yes. we should be there for people, right? We're the Absolutely. church. We want to walk alongside in their brokenness. So right. talk to us about that. So I've thought about that question for a whole week. Um, <laughs> and so I think it's kind of twofold. And let me explain a little bit. Um, when I think back over the 20-something years of working with people coming into recovery, I'm going to, here's things I've heard. Because I don't really think the church, or if you ask any pastor or any elder, their heart is, yeah, we're an, we're open and we we want to accept them and we want to walk, we want to walk alongside them and we want to do whatever necessary to help them without enabling them. Um, but a lot of times that's, I think not, there's a disconnect. Um, so things I've heard is, well, you just need to read your Bible more 
If you just memorize these scriptures, it's going to help. You haven't, obviously you just need to pray harder. And these are things that people have told me over the years. This is not me making up stuff. You know, I've, I've been told, um, you know, they loved me when I first came into recovery. They even had me on stage. But then two months later, no one even connected with me. Right. Um, I've heard a lot of families, especially dealing with sexual addiction, um, saying things like, well, I don't, I don't tell my small group because everybody in my small group is, you know, their lives are together. Or I'm not going to share that because I'm not sure they know how to handle it. Or I did share this, and mm-hmm. I just got this look like, what do we do? And then no one talked about it. Right. And so when you're in addiction and recovery, it doesn't take much to flame the fire of shame. Mm-hmm. And even if you're not meaning to pass on shame, mm-hmm. by just not responding to someone can give shame. Like, oh, they think I'm a bad person. And then mm-hmm. that kicks in. So I don't, I don't think it's that the church doesn't. I think it's a lot of our people are not equipped. Um, I think addicts and families who have grown up or around addiction, they're highly sensitive to tran- uh, people being transparent and authentic. And if you're not, they see it a mile away and they run. Now, part of that is they need to learn how to engage that, right? So some of that's on the addict and the family. But I think as the church, that's the biggest issue is that I think they're seeking a place where authentic transparency, um, a sense of realness, even if truth hurts, addicts take truth. But they don't, when they want to talk about it, they want to be raw and they want to be able to share what's going on. And if you can't handle that, they, they won't stick around. And so I see a lot of them end up disconnecting from the church because they don't find that real, transparent, authentic relationship or relationships where they can just shit, sit. Oh, I just said a bad word. Where they can sit <laughs> and... Wait, wait, wait. There we go. It's a little late. I didn't see it coming. Or it's okay. That earlier. Oh, that's it's funny. Okay. Um, where they, um, you know, not a lot of train of thought, where they, really, where they really struggle to really connect deeply with people because they need to know, they want to hear the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And if you're not willing to share that and be part of that, mm-hmm. um, so that's one, that's one issue. The other part, I think, um, part of that twofold is I think we as a church culture, I'm, I'm going to reach out there and say this, but I think as a church culture, um, we do have this idea that we have to look like we have it together. When I walk in that church building on Sundays, I have to have it together. That will make an addict in their family run or not feel safe because they already know they're broken. They actually want to share it. They want to walk into a place where there's all these broken, these broken people. And I don't know that we necessarily know how to fix that. I just am saying, I think that's part of a church culture. And so I have to keep everything quiet. And that's especially like family members, even like, you know, you could have, um, you know, your adult son who's an addict and not even going to church, but they don't want to share that because they want to say, Oh, well, I failed as a parent or, they're going to think I'm this failure. Um, and I don't want to share that with this, with my small group or with my church, because they're just going to look at me differently. And I think how do, I don't know how we change that culture, but I think that's the two big, that's why I say it's kind of a twofold thing. Too bad that we can't spend all the energy um, that is utilized in church to keep secrets, family secrets, personal secrets, and redirect that. And, you know, if we could just shed that stuff and switch that focus to healing and growing and walking alongside people, um, but yeah, I think that self-preservation and that self-protection Correct. that is in us um, bubbles up and people want to do image management. And right. unfortunately in the church, that that can happen a lot. Right. I also think in the church, we like to enable, right? So we can say, oh, we want to help you. We want to jump in and give them things, whether that's money, clothes. Well, what starts off as helping can easily move into enabling. And so I think sometimes the church also struggles to know those boundaries. You know, It's super complicated. 
it feel is. like it's super complicated. Yep. So I have a history. I worked in a psychiatric hospital. Of course, mm-hmm. we had an addictions mm-hmm. um, uh, program. Um, and the thing that, you know, you're taught is personal boundaries. Mm-hmm. Watch, you know, because there's transference that happens. There's manipulation that happens. So it's very complicated for, you know, just your average church attender to know how to safely engage someone that comes in and is openly and you know like I'm an addict I'm recovering knowing like I don't know I'm just being transparent like I I love I see I've seen God heal I have love for everyone you know but the safe how like mm-hmm. how do I engage you safely and Can, that's I 100% agree because if they're not truly in recovery or they've fallen off they they're some of the best manipulators I've ever met so you're correct. I think there's people who've been hurt by someone who is an addict. So it's it's a very complex, and you really have to, you know, it's it's hard work. You have to figure out what that healthy balance is. So I think it's on both ends. I think it's the addict and where they're at and some of their responsibility, you know, kind of causes some of those issues in the church. But then also, how do we engage them in a healthy way and know when we need to set up boundaries? And I think that's hard. Are there some, just off your cut, off, yeah. you know, yeah. Like, are there some just, like, initial things? Like, here are some safe ways to begin or some things that, you know, that you would say to someone who's like, I want to, but, you know, I've, I've had this experience and mm-hmm. I'm a little gun shy. Mm-hmm. Well, I always think, one, learning to listen really well and have empathy, right? That doesn't cost anybody anything. Good. Uh, time. I, sh- I shouldn't say that. It costs you time. But it also doesn't usually cause you to cross your own boundaries, Um so I always say if you just do that and you can have empathy and relate to them, great. I think also if you make any promises or you say, hey, here's how I'm going to help you, you need to ask someone else or you need to think that through before you make that promise. Um, because one, if they're not in recovery, they could be manipulating you and they could use that. Or two, um, if you don't follow through on it, then that does the opposite to the addict because then they say, oh, I can't trust you. So, you know, you kind of have to be cautious if you agree to do something. That's just like a drop the mic moment because it's <laughs> like, I think the, the tendency is, but I want to fix it. Right, right. Like, you know, yeah. I want to like rescue and fix yep. and yeah. And that's, that's not what we're called to do. Um, I don't think that's what, you can't fix it. The person has, I mean, I really think it's, they, it's this relationship, they have to wrestle with, healing themselves, but also surrendering to Christ. And I think that's the hard part is that was going to be number three. I was going to say is my last thing is that you need to realize you can't fix them. You can walk alongside them. You can support them. You can have empathy. You can even do some things to help engage them and, you know, support them, but you can't fix it. They have to want to do it. And that's the hardest thing with addiction is we often fall for, they have to be at bottom. I mean, they got arrested or they got a DUI or they got caught like sleeping with someone because they have a sex addiction, you know, their, you know, their marriage is going to be ruined. We think they should be at bottom. We're like, okay, surely they're going to, they're going to, they're going to fix it now. And they don't. And then we're blown away by that. But that's, I always tell people. That's how you know it's addiction. Exactly. It's when natural consequences (laughs) don't work. Right. Right. And it's It's not until they decide I've had enough. And then you see a heart change, meaning you see them do things that they haven't done in the past to change things. But that's hard for us as a family member, friend, a pastor. That's really hard for us to sit and just let happen because we want to fix it. And we think surely they want help. 
But if they're really not there, they don't. <laughs> and I think your average churchgoer Christian does. You yeah, know, I want to fix that. I, I love Jesus. Yeah. You're saying you love Jesus. Mm-hmm. I want to help you like mm-hmm. live the full healthy life that yep. God has for you. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the limitations are important. That's good. Yeah. The other thing um, that I think is a struggle in church, and Lori, I'd love to hear your feedback on this too, is I think sometimes an addiction is just one of the things I would put in this category, but I feel like um, at times the church ranks sin. Oh, yes. yes. So addiction is somehow worse than a white lie. Well, well or, different addictions are worse. Yeah. Different so addi- sexual addiction is yes. kind of the no-no. Right. Like you're the worst person right. in the world if right. you have sexual addiction. Alcohol, okay, I could kind of get that. Or you're a meth addict. Like they even rank, in my opinion, the different level, different addictions. Oh, you have a gambling problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We just need to help you control your money. I mean, you know what I'm or saying? Sugar. Or sugar. Or sugar, you know. Or so you spend $2,000 a day going shopping. Uh, well, I mean, if you have the money. I mean, we right. we tend to rank it instead of, and that's why I always say, if we can't accept we're all one decision from yes. being where that person is that you're thinking, then you have some work to do with your relationship with God because we're all there and we all at times are desperate for something to fill the void. And I think that's where we tend to rank it and think, well, at least I'm not there. Mm-hmm. Well, you're right. You're not today, but the, what's... Mm-hmm. Or just because you use you engage in the most socially acceptable mm-hmm. <laughs> addiction mm-hmm. or brokenness, then it's okay. Correct. Compared yes. to that person, I'm doing and then that right. you know as we were saying earlier, then that that causes people to not want to share in mm-hmm. their church or with their small groups because oh if I have to tell them my my husband had another affair because he has a sex addiction, they're just gonna think I'm crazy because I'm staying with him or whatever is going on, and so. I totally agree with that. We rank sins and, and we also don't look at the person's life. I, I have met, I work today with many men because uh, our residential is only men right now um, that we have at New Day, but our, our men, a lot of them have never known anything but addiction. Meaning, I know this sounds horrible, but their parents get handed them drugs when they were eight or nine years old and they were getting high with their parents. And I always say, you, you know, you cannot possess what you do not know. So these people have never known anything but addiction. And so we want to look at them as outcasts or, you know, this, this group of people you don't, you shouldn't be around when really they've never been taught anything different. And we often don't stop to pause to put ourselves in those people's shoes to go, oh, that makes more sense. Instead, we just want to, we want to judge. Isn't some of that based on perceived danger? Like, so Correct. I do, I've done kids ministry for mm-hmm. almost 20 years, 18 years, uh, a lot of volunteer work. Mm-hmm. Anyway. In working with kids, so, you know, we have to screen our kids' workers. Right, absolutely. And yeah. you can say, well, I have a sugar addiction mm-hmm. or a gambling problem. You can still work with kids. Right. But there is a safe, there is a different level when you're talking about drug or alcohol use right. or a True. sexual addiction mm-hmm. that it's like, okay, that's a little, that feels more dangerous. Like that, that has a potential to impact other people. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying the other ones don't, right. but I'm just saying from my perspective, you know, cause we've had to deal with this. We mm-hmm. um, work with uh, transformations and mm-hmm. we've had people come in and want to serve in the church. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what do we do with mm-hmm. kids ministry? And I've overseen children's ministry, which I would absolutely put those boundaries there. Cause I agree there is certain levels, but also um, cause I've done a lot of counseling how do you know the amount of people that are in your children? And I'm not trying to scare people, but oh, no, there's no, lots I know of people who have sexual addiction who you just don't know. Yeah. They no. just haven't been caught. That's for real. Right. But if I know, uh, no, I got to sure. If I know that. they're not doing it either. I agree with yeah. you. Sure. <laughs> I think it's more, of, there, there are different consequences 
to different things. Absolutely. I mean, there's different boundaries and consequences to what you choose, yeah. but there's no rank to it. Right. So that's the difference. I, I guess, love that the way that I see it is that, yeah, different boundaries have to be put in depending on where the brokenness mm-hmm. is. If it does relate to vulnerable populations, the potential like consequences. That. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That will be different. But as far as in God's eyes and how you're separated because of your sin, it's the same separation this way or that way to him. It's he's holy. You're not. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. Right? Yeah. And so. I totally agree with that. And that's a lot what we have to work on. Because some of these guys have lost, uh, being around their kids, they've lost custody to their children, access to, I mean, their wives have left them. And so we have to work a lot on the consequences of your choices. Yep. That doesn't mean that God doesn't redeem you. That doesn't yep. mean you still can't go right. on and do something for Christ. It just means you are limited in some of the things that you can do. Mm-hmm. So I told. I mean, I'm all about we should be safe and you know, I even didn't even allow my own children around my brother when he was using because I didn't trust that. And so I think that's appropriate. It's just figuring out. It, I love how you said that, Wendy, because it's really not in God's eyes different. It's just it's there's because of the choices you made, there's certain consequences that happen. Mm-hmm. And you I have think to live with there's those. I think that's one reason people kind of stand like they're, they're the perceived consequence or perceived danger, mm-hmm. yeah. um, which can be real. Oh, absolutely. The other thing I think that keeps people kind of like. I'm just going to stay back here and let other people, because they feel unqualified. Mm -hmm. You know, I I am not a professional. I don't know how to handle someone with addiction. So it's not that I don't love them. I'll pray for them, but I don't want to screw that up. Right. Right. (laughs) So I'm just going to let you all who know what you're doing handle it. Right. Um, But I love what you said earlier about listening Mm -hmm. and being empathetic is really the call. I don't, yeah. If they're truly in recovery, most people are not seeking for you to fix it. They just need to be able to talk about it. They just, it's their life and they are trying to stay sober and they just often need to share that, hey, today I was thinking about it, I just wanted to go use. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just need to be able to talk about it. And even just sharing that and someone listening helps them be able to continue on for that day. Mm-hmm. And that's always one simple thing everybody can, and I don't care if it's addiction or not. It, right. Brokenness in general, that's one thing everybody can do. Mm-hmm. I don't think you have to be an expert. I think when you look at scriptures, we're called to do that. That's a minimum of being a Christian mm-hmm. is we're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So that not just give people clothes and shelter, but for us to actually, um, I mean, Jesus said, like when you, when you talk about the woman at the well, I was just going to say, he, yeah. he didn't just, Oh, here you go, honey. No, he, he heard her. He loved, yeah. he also gave her truth, but he loved her and, and she listened and she felt heard. And then she was able to move on. We we're all called to do that in my opinion. And you can always, always learn someone's story, right? Absolutely. Because that's where the empathy and compassion comes in, is when you think that you can't relate to someone who struggles with addiction, you know, it's like, oh, that's those kind of people like you were talking about. When you sit down and hear someone's story and you see the path of their life and you see it was that one decision where they started veering off or they grew up in a family of origin where Mm -hmm. addiction was running rampant, wow, the compassion and empathy to go, wow, we're not that different. And actually, we aren't at all because, again, we're all broken just in right. different ways. Um, so just listening to people's stories, I think, yep. again, is, is one thing that everybody can do. Wow. And a lot of times people just need them to believe. They just need someone to believe in them and pray for them. And if you think about it, that's what Jesus provided so many. I mean, if you look at some of his stories and parables was just he, he gave them he demonstrated love. And of course he could do it in a short period of time. We're, we're not perfect, but he provided that place where they felt valued where they understood that like, hey, someone believed in me. Because a lot of people just continue down the path they are because no one believes in them. He let them know he sees them. Yeah. Yes. The God who sees. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. important. 
What, Lori, I have so many more questions. I wish we had more. <laughs> definitely rebooking this. Okay, great. Um, because I, I would love to dive more into family and parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, so many questions. Like my, I'm just so Yeah, sad. that's a whole separate. I'm so yeah. sad we're done. But thank you so oh, much no. for thank coming. Thank you for having Can me. Can I have her share just for one minute sure. about New Day? Um, the oh, treatment yes, center please. that sure. she works yeah, at. Um, New Day, um, quickly, is uh, we have three parts. We have a residential facility near Bloomington, Indiana, where we house 14 guys at a time. And those are more people going through substance use issues, like they've been involved in some pretty hardcore um, alcohol, drug addiction. And then we have what we call an intensive outpatient, um, where we do three days a week, um, roughly three hours a day. And that is actually for anyone struggling um, across the line, like if you're struggling with sex addiction, gambling, um, you're just, you're struggling. And then the third part we have is just uh, individual couples and family counseling to kind of what you said you wanted, we want to talk about maybe in a further podcast is we really have a firm belief at New Day to help the whole family. I think a lot of times the family's really active in getting the, the addict into counseling, um, but then they forget that they're broken too. They forget that they might need help too. And even if you don't think you were broken, it's, it's hard to swallow when your son or your daughter just ends up being an addict. And so um, a lot of times the family is so worried about getting them into counseling, they forget they might need it. And so that's why we offer that component. Um, New Day is we're faith-based. Um, so we truly believe you have to have Jesus as that formula. Um, and we, we basically integrate um, our Christian faith and values uh, along with empirical-based evidence uh, with licensed therapists. But they're all, I mean, it's not that things are not separated. Christ and all those things are, are talked about and integrated into all of our programs and what we do. And so um, Dan Johnson, who is actually the founder of New Day, uh, started this. He was a pastor for years. And then people uh, who were struggling with addiction kept walking in his office. And then several years after that, he just felt called to leave church ministry and to begin New Day as a ministry to help specifically people and families struggling with addiction and um so from there, he asked me to come on about a year and a half ago. So I've been helping him do that since then. So that's amazing. So yeah. the you mentioned the residential programs in Bloomington, mm-hmm. the IOP individual oh, yeah. is that is that local? That is local. That's basically at around four sixty five and um, uh, Meridian Street. I couldn't remember where we were located for a second. Uh, but yeah, we have an office there. And how can people get in touch with uh, New Day? Um, get more um, information. Our website is thenewdaycenter.com. So I could say you could find everything there um, and our phone number and everything's on there. Um, or I don't know if everybody would write this down. You can email me personally at L Burns. That's L B U R N S at the new day center.com. But we'd be more than willing to help you. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's just, sometimes people are calling us. They maybe don't do any of our programming. They're just a family member trying to figure out what's next steps. Right. We're, we're not going to charge you for that. We're, right. we're just going to sit and talk to you because we believe we're a ministry first. Right. Absolutely. One more clarifying question. The residential is men only. It is men but only. But the, I, the um, IOP and the uh, individual counseling, that is, is that? Anybody. Anyone. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Thanks All for right. clarifying that. But thanks for having me. This has been great. When do you know good people? I know. <laughs> I know the best people. You Lori's one of the best <laughs> people I know. Oh, yeah. What a pleasure. So much fun. Lori, I can't tell. I've been taking notes. I've got thoughts in my head. (laughs) I'm so sad. I see coffee in our future. Oh, I love it. All right. Well, what do you think, Wendy? That was a good one. Yeah. All right, everyone. We just want to thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Shooting Straight. I'm Tina. And I'm Wendy. And we love truth. Even when it hurts. Ouch.
I love the title of 